0: Hi, welcome to Broadway Assembly Church Podcast. We are excited for you to be joining us today. If you want to get a notification of the most recent uploads, please subscribe to our podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Him, a demon-possessed half-breed. Yep. John nine twenty four. the Pharisees were certain about his deity. They said, this man is a sinner. He eats with sinners. Um, He's a glutton, a friend of tax collectors. Praise God. Wow. That was pretty harsh, wasn't it? But oh, aren't you glad not everybody mischaracterized him? When John saw him at Jordan River, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God, taketh away the sins of the world. Matthew 16, Peter said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. When Christ opened the heart of the woman at the well, she declared, You're the Messiah. You're the Messiah on the Mount of Transfiguration. The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. Paul said in Colossians 1.15, He's the image of the invisible God the creator and sustainer of all things. John said in Revelation 19, 16, He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And Christ himself concluded the matter in Revelation 22 when he said, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Praise God. I suppose that of all the scripture has said, about the person of Christ. I I love this assessment that John provides here in our text when he says he that cometh from above is above all. You say, well what does that statement imply? Well, it means even with the galaxies stopped on stacked on top of each other, Christ is still above them. He's the overarching, how can I say this, overtopping figure of all time, if that's a word. I I was thinking when I read this, I I think of the words of of Solomon. Song of Solomon, I believe it is 310, and it says, he's chief among 10,000. And at first glance, you know, we could say, well, if he had 10,000, he's going to, you know, He'll stand out in a mere company of of 10,000 but in a company that's larger than that he he might be overshadowed. That's not what it's implying. It's not what it means at all. What it means is whenever and wherever and whomever the 10,000 may be that's gathered together Christ is still going to be standing out supreme. In other words gather 10,000 military generals and Christ is going to be the preeminent general out of all of them. Gather 10,000 philosophers and Christ's wisdom is going to confound them all. Right? Gather 10,000 of the world's richest people. But God's love, praise God, aren't you glad? God's love would, that's rich and his love goes deeper than the pockets on Wall Street. Right? Gather 10,000 royal kings, but he is the king of all kings the Lord of all lords. And he governs realms without borders. He is chief among 10,000, the wise man said, whenever, wherever, and whomever they may be. We cannot even process his magnificence, really. We cannot even begin to compute his splendor. Right, church? I mean, if we look and examine him closely, we would agree with the wise man Solomon. He is chief. He's chief among 10,000. And when we look into his eyes, we'll see an infinite glow of unfailing love. When we look at his hands, pierced with the nails, we'll see he's the one that's going to hold the scepter for all eternity. Praise God. (laughs) Praise God. So, I mean, he's chief among 10,000. Now, what we see here, John shares with us. Above all, in our text, I want us to see if Christ is truly above all, then he must be three different things. And we're going to look at them. Number one on your worksheet there. Number one, if Christ is truly above all, he must be the conqueror of all human weakness. Now, I know many people have mistakenly assumed they are invincible. But how many know it doesn't take long for us to learn that we are mortal, right? Every one of these bodies come with an expiration date, right? We discover our mortality in many ways. Tiny little invisible virus if it gets in the bloodstream right? It'll sideline us for days, if not weeks. The invisible virus of COVID-19 shut basically the world down, didn't it? A broken bone reminds us we're certainly not invincible. It can take months to heal. Certain laws of nature cannot be defied without Corrective consequences. Age is perhaps the most severe reminder of our humanity. And that's why our culture keeps the doctors busy. Chasing away wrinkles, right? Implanting hair. All because we are consumed with preserving our appearance. But how many know nobody can tame time? Hello, church. Nobody can tame time. We can't prevent aging. If age doesn't wear us out, the misfortune of a sickness or disease that we have to contend with, despite scientific medical breakthroughs, there are still avenues of life that have us enslaved. But Christ, this is what John says, he's unfettered. At every one of those points where we find ourselves bound, it doesn't apply to Him. He's above it. Hallelujah. And that's what that's what John goes on to show us. Okay, he writes this text in chapter 4. And then the next few chapters... For example, let's look at this story, the story of the cripple, the very next chapter. Because it's interesting how John meticulously describes this miracle. He, his details sharpen and shape what he's already stated in the previous chapter when he said Christ is above all. First of all, this event, this event of the cripple happens in Jerusalem. He's, he, he makes that point to tell us. And you say, well, why, why does it matter where it happens? Because Jerusalem was the religious capital of the world. If people should have been healthy anywhere, they should have been healthy living in Jerusalem. Right? It was the hub of the rabbis, priests, scribes, prophets. The temple was there. And despite this though. John says. There was a great multitude. Of sick folks. Gathered right at the porch of the temple. Because church. how I mean no religion. Without the living presence of Christ. Is powerless. All right. If Christ that it's Christ that infuses Christianity with supernatural power. And so this event happens in Jerusalem, the religious capital of the world. Secondly, John said the miracle took place at the pool of Bethesda. This was a pool where all these sufferers gathered to receive healing from an angel that stirred the water uh, at, at seasons. But this man remained infirmed in spite of his many years spent at the water's edge and The supernatural was always just beyond his reach. Just beyond his reach. Thirdly, John recorded this miracle happening by the sheep gate. Okay, there's little historical information profiling this gate, so we can only make limited assumptions. Because lambs were a vital aspect of Jewish festivals, we assume this was a marketplace for the purchasing, washing of sacrificial lambs. This meant multitudes were coming and going at this gate. This man remained crippled despite the thousands of worshipers that would come and pass him Day after day. And then fourthly, John mentions this miracle happened among the vast assembly of other helpless sufferers. So, if you get the picture, it was quite a crowd of disabled folks, right? Blind, lame, paralyzed, all hanging out around the water. And for these people, and especially this lame man, it was hope against hope, basically. But with all the conditions contrary to optimism, Christ came... Christ arrives, and remember, he's above all, right? And he stands before this man and says, Look, you've been lame long enough. Arise, take up your bed, and walk. So I say, Praise God. God. Immediately, every bone in his body snapped into place, and he claimed perfect health. No medical examination could have explained it. His recovery was simply miraculous. He didn't even need physical therapy. Right? Hello. (laughs) He was helpless for 38 years until one sentence from Christ cured him. Why? Because Christ is above all. Somebody say, "What what a gift. What a gift. What a way for Christ to illustrate his mastery above human weakness. But there's another message the Holy Spirit reveals here. It's the revelation of God's willingness... To change our circumstances because many people don't understand how much God desires, how much he really wants to meet their need. Many people don't understand how much God wants to meet. You know, we got problems and we get comfortable living with them. But God expressly discloses His willingness to meet man's needs. Do you know how many times He says, I I'll, I'll will, I will, I will? Do you know how many times He says that? 365. How many days is in a year? So that's one expression of God's goodness for every single day of our year, church. 59 times in the four Gospels, Christ says, I will. To the man that had leprosy, He says, I will be thou be thou clean. For the centurion servant, I will come and heal him. To the burden and oppressed soul, what's he say? Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I what's he say? I will, I'll give you rest. To the repenting repenting sinner, he says, Whosoever cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. To the one who approaches God by faith, and he says, asks. Ask what you will. He says, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. To those needing companionship, he says, I will not leave you comfortless, meaning as orphans. I will come to you. To the church, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Hello, church. And... Confident of Christ's willingness to deliver man. The Apostle Paul, what was it he declared in Philippians 4.19? He says, God will supply all your needs. Thank God Christ not only can, but I'm glad He will. He will. And so the answer to our situation may not appear anywhere on the horizon. But if uh, you look and take a quick study of David's life, it testifies of God's predisposition toward meeting our needs because as a youth, young David used God's power to defeat a lion and the bear when they attacked his flock he also met Goliath in the valley of Elah, I believe it was with just a slingshot as king he routinely empowered uh, his uh, army to defeat listen, and at his death, his epitaph was I've been young Now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. How many can say that? I've never, come on church, can you say that? I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never seen a seed beggar bear. Folks, we're limited, but he's not. Why? Because John said he's above all. He's above all. But we must never allow our faith to get hedged and handcuffed and halted to what we focus on. As far as our frailty rather than on his omnipotence. So I say, what a gift. We can concentrate on Jehovah Jireh who says, I am the Lord. There is nothing too hard for me. Praise God. Turn to your neighbor and say, nothing's too hard for him. Nothing's too hard for him. So. He must be conqueror of all human weakness. Next, if he's above all, he must be, somebody say, unlimited. Unlimited. That means no limitations whatsoever. The central point of this next event is found in chapter 6 of John 5 through 15. But in verse 6, Christ asks Philip where enough bread could be found to feed such a crowd. And Christ knew the solution, I believe, from the start. But he asked this question for a reason. He was about to demonstrate his ability to supply. In other words, he's unlimited. Here was the crowd who by anyone's calculations was too large to eat, obviously, from this boy's lunch. But how many times has it been proven man's extremity is God's opportunity? God desires to demonstrate his unlimited supply. And just like Philip, it requires a testing of our faith. And when Christ tested Philip's faith, he quickly found out Philip possessed very little. Christ asked, where are we going to find or buy enough bread to feed these folks? And Philip immediately started counting in dollars and cents. And he should have looked, though, to the omnipotence of Christ few of us can plead exemption from this failure though because a lot of us would have been just like just like uh, Philip and in distressing times I don't know about you, but our natural inclination church is this not true is to look at the lack instead of focus on the faith Philip one of the twelve should have Never answered Christ that way, but we would do the same. Here, Christ, I mean, He's curing lepers, He's leaving footprints on the water, He's no doubt smiting cancers. And Philip looks immediately at mortal limitations. And he says, Lord, eight months of wages would not be enough. To buy enough bread. So that all these folks could just have a bite. That's when Andrew steps into the picture with his offer. And says Lord here's a boy with five small barley loaves. Two small fish. and I mean but yet how far will that go among so many. That's not much faith either. But remember thankfully it only takes faith the size of. Somebody say it. Mustard seed. Christ said mustard seed faith can relocate a mountain. Christ doesn't need vast resources. Oh, hallelujah, to perform a miracle. If he did, we'd all be in trouble. His economy doesn't operate according to human calculations. When he takes the boy's little lunch, disperses it to the multitude, he's exercising divine arithmetic. Listen, and Christ takes away the boy's lunch, but then he multiplies it thousands. Have you ever had the Lord take away and then multiply? Hmm? It hurts when it when he takes away, doesn't it? But remember he often takes away so that he can multiply because he's got a better plan. He's got something far greater. Praise God. And finally, Not only is the incomparable gift the conqueror of human weakness and is unrestricted by human limitations, I want you to see number three. If he's above all, he has to be the great I am. So we know Christ was more than human. He was divine. He repeatedly emphasized his divinity when he said he was the I am. And really what he was doing, he was reaching back into the Old Testament and linking up because that is the precise designation Jehovah God asserted about himself all through the Old Testament. At the burning bush is where it started, Exodus chapter 3. God told Moses to deliver Israel out of Egypt through the power of the name of I am. He was saying, Moses, I am whatever you and my people need me to be. I am You fill in the blank. Folks, only one person is qualified to make such a statement. And that is the one John says is above all. And when Christ said he was the I am. The Jews knew that he was equating himself with the father. That's why they accused him of blasphemy. A clear example is found in John 8. Where Christ actually infuriated the religious hierarchy. They weren't about to accept his pre-Abrahamic claim, where he, you know, being a 30-year-old dissident, unaffiliated with their uh, little supposed holy club, claiming to be older and superior than Abraham, who was their grand statesman? (laughs) They weren't buying that, were they? And I know it's difficult to comprehend the mystery of Christ's nature, but if we can't, if we don't believe, how many know if we don't believe his divinity, not much else about him is going to make sense. Everything he did and said hinges upon his divinity. His teaching and exploits can't be understood without uh, subscribing to his deity. Abraham died 2,028 years earlier when Christ spoke this. And Jesus is now telling the Jews, I was before him. That's impossible to understand without believing in his divinity. Can an ordinary man be a thousand places at once? Christ said, I can. Christ said, where two or three gather together in my name, I'll be there. How many remember that? Try to understand that without believing in his divinity. How is it possible for a mere man to defy the laws of nature, walk on water, use a few words to calm a raging storm, wither a tree from the roots up? None of it makes sense unless there's a fundamental belief in his divinity. He's got to be above all. Above all. Where's the medical journal explaining all of his healings or the book explaining his resurrection or the science report explaining his ascension? None can be explained without the belief He is divine. He's divine. He's either Christ, born of a Virgin Mary, holy God, holy man, or he's the greatest imposter that ever lived. I believe he's the incarnate son of God, the great I am. He's above all. So I say he's above all. Praise God. That's why he says, I am so often. He says, I am the bread of life. Which signifies... He can satisfy, he can satisfy your drive to survive. He said, I'm the water of life, signifying his sufficiency to satisfy our need to be refreshed and sustained. He said, I'm the vine. How many remember that one? I am the vine, signifying his ability to supply nourishment and vitality. I am the good shepherd, signifying his care and his concern for his flock. I am the light of the world, signifying the clear direction that he is providing his children. He said, I am the door. These are all his statements, signifying he is the exclusive entrance into the kingdom of God. He isn't a way. He isn't just an entrance into eternal life. He's the only way. And we live in a day when it's popular and conventional and religiously correct to believe in many doors leading to eternal life. You know, stare at a crystal, repeat a chant, just, just do good, you'll make heaven. Well, folks, I have no hesitation about being dogmatic right here, right? In saying Jesus is the only way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. That signified his singular ability to furnish man's in eternal redemption. And that's not a fact because the Orthodox Christians attest to it. It's a fact because God's word right here declares it. That settles it. Somebody say, that settles it. Somebody say, what a savior. He's above all. He is above all. He is conqueror of human weakness. He is the Lord without limitations, John says. And he's the great I am. Whatever you need him to be tonight, he'll be. Right? He is the incomparable figure of all human history. And we are part of the prearranged plan to bring glory to him. Oh, how many want to live your life to glorify God? I mean, some of you, you have a lot of anxiety that comes from your ambitions in life. You got to get this and get this and make sure you're, you know, you're making a, I want to glorify God. Praise God. He is the one that is above all. Somebody said he was fairer than the flowers that illustrated his sermons. Brighter than the star that pointed towards his manger. Higher than the heavens from which he descended. Oh, praise God. That makes me want to raise my hands. Lift my voice. And say, thank you for being above all. This child from Bethlehem is above all. And that's why Luke 2, 9 and 12 says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Jew and Gentile alike. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Somebody say, what a gift. Let's stand together. What a gift. Praise God. He is above all. Father, here tonight, thank you. We magnify you. We glorify you. We adore you. Thank you, God, that you are above all. You came so humbly. You gave your life a ransom. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to give life to each of your children. And, Lord, if there is one here tonight that's finding themselves in a place of need, whatever it may be, Remind them, you're above all. It may feel like this situation has got the best of them. But God, remind us tonight, what is, whatever is over our head is still under your feet because you're above all. In Jesus' name, somebody praise Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, Sister Jones. Sing it, would you? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We exist. We exist to glorify you. Oh, hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh, church, let's worship Him for just a moment. Shift your focus. Pray. Oh, Majesty. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
1: Unto his own. His anthem rains, so exalted.
0: Oh, somebody glorify him right where you're at. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being above all. Remind us of that tonight. Our eyes are on you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Church, the altars are open. If you got to go, God bless you. Invite somebody to be with us on Sunday. Take a moment and worship Him tonight as you take a moment at the pew or at the front here. Oh, majesty. Hallelujah. I worship your majesty.